Britney Spears has just dropped a bombshell. She came after everybody. Her parents, her family, her managers, her handlers. Britney Spears, clearly angry and upset, said she wanted the abusive and controlling arrangement to end. A bombshell report about Britney Spears. The superstar called 911 to report alleged abuse the night before that dramatic court testimony. We stand up for you, Britney Spears, and we won't stop until you reach freedom. Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of music, streaming, TV, film and everything in arts and entertainment. Britney Spears is one of the biggest stories in the world right now, but it's not really because of her music. She hasn't released a new single or a new record. She's not announcing a new tour. She's in the news because of the saga around her controversial 13-year-long conservatorship. It's not really a new story either. 13 years is a really long time. But for most of that period, it was a thing that just really hardcore Britney fans were talking about. Then in 2019, we saw the Free Britney hashtag and movement go viral. More recently, there's been a series of new documentaries covering the issue, and the story has just grown and grown. A few weeks ago, after years of silence, we finally saw Britney speak out publicly. After I've lied and told the whole world I'm okay and I'm happy, it's a lie. I thought I just maybe I said that enough. Maybe I might become happy because I've been in denial. I've been in shock. I am traumatized. She confirmed years worth of speculation about her conservatorship and Perhaps most importantly, the role that her father, Jamie Spears, played in it. Ma'am, my dad and anyone involved in this conservatorship and my management who played a huge role in punishing at me when I said, no, ma'am, they should be in jail. Their cool tactics working for Miley Cyrus as she smokes on joints and stage at the VMAs. Nothing is ever done to this generation for doing wrong things. But my precious body, who's worked for my dad for the past fucking 13 years, trying to be so good and pretty, so perfect when he works me so hard. When I do everything I'm told in the state of California, allowed my ignorant father to take his own daughter, who only has a role with me if I work with him. They set back the whole course and allowed him to do that to me. That's given these people I've worked for way too much control. They also threatened me and said... The court hearing ended up being pivotal. For the first time, Britney Spears has been allowed to hire her own lawyer, who's vowed to pursue an end to the conservatorship. So could the 13-year-old battle to free Britney finally be coming to an end? Joining me on this episode of The Culture to chat about Britney's journey so far and where it might go from here is Jules Lefebvre, the editor of Music Junkie. Jules, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Oz. It's so great to be here. I'm a big, big fan. Oh, that's extremely kind of you. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Jules, take me back to the beginning. Where, where does all of this start? Yeah, God, there's, there's a lot to get into, but you're right that the Free Britney movement, I think, really entered public consciousness probably in early 2019. And it's worth saying, as you mentioned, that fans have been advocating for this all the way back since 2009. 2009 is actually the first instance where we saw Free Britney as a phrase, and it popped up on a fan website called Breathe Heavy, which was run by just a Britney fan, because he was concerned about these reports that Britney didn't have access to a phone. 
So this has been bubbling along for almost as long as the conservatorship has actually been going on. But in 2019, a, a couple of things happened. One was that she entered a mental health facility mm. and postponed her upcoming Las Vegas residency, Britney Domination. Britney Spears delivered some heartbreaking news today, January 4th, announcing on Instagram that her new Vegas show, Britney Domination, will not be happening as her father's health is ailing. And in April 2019, it was reported that she checked into a mental health facility amid these reports that she was really struggling to deal with, with an illness um, that Jamie Spears had. A source telling people that Britney Spears checked herself into a facility on Wednesday for a quote, all encompassing wellness treatment. This comes after news of her father, Jamie's declining health and recent colon. But around that time, at the same month, this anonymous voicemail was, was sent to a podcast called Britney's Gram. Hi there. Um, I cannot disclose who I am. Um, I just Which is, was previously just a lighthearted analysis of Britney's Instagram posts and Britney's gram has since turned into kind of one of the foremost, you know, information hubs for the free Britney movement. And so this anonymous source uh, claimed to have worked as a paralegal for, for a law office involved in the conservatorship and basically told the podcasters that Britney was admitted to this mental health facility against her will because she was refusing to take her medication. Um, and what is happening is disturbing to say the least. Uh, Britney was not taking her medication as prescribed. So Jamie said, either you take this medication or the show's off and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling my support and you can't do it. He verbatim said, blame it on my illness. And so this obviously contradicted her previous statements about this. And at the time it was, you know, it was an anonymous voicemail, there were a lot of questions about its legitimacy. But in a recent article in the New York Times, it was effectively, you know, were all but confirmed that it that it was true. And that Brittany had told the court that she had been forced to go into the mental health facility against her will. She apparently saw it as a punishment for making an objection, you know, during a rehearsal for her Las Vegas residency. Um, she said that she once performed with a 104 degree fever, you know, through one of these nights. So that really began to undo um, all of these sort of very anodyne public statements about her just being upset about her father's illness and her just being overworked. It really began this conversation that something was amiss. So it wasn't actually just this left field thing that, that someone was making up like a conspiracy theory. It was actually quite true. A couple of years later, we started to notice, you know, all these petitions that were happening and, and the court filings. And there was a bit of a movement to remove her father, Jamie Spears, as a conservator of the person and replace him. And that obviously didn't happen. And so we've been basically following this case since kind of mid-2019. And, of course, it's all just completely blown apart because a couple of weeks ago, Brittany herself actually gave a public statement in court about it all, which was the first time ever that we had heard her speak about it. It's been a long time since I've owned my money and it's my wish and my dream for all of this to end without being tested. Again, it makes no sense whatsoever for the state of California to sit back and literally watch me with their own two eyes make a living for so many people and pay so many people trucks and buses on tour on the road with me and be told I'm not good enough. 
but I'm great at what I do. And I allow these people to control what I do, ma'am, and it's enough. It makes no sense. At okay, all. that is an amazing summary. I think her fame, her wealth, the way that she's been treated by the media, by others in the industry and her family, it's all such an important part of how she's ended up in this situation. But with all this hyper-focused media attention on the conservatorship, it, it can be pretty easy to forget just how significant an artist she is and and was and the enormous role that she's played in the development of pop music over the past two decades. Mm. What was your first experience with Britney? Do, Do you remember when she first came onto your radar? Well, Baby One More Time obviously came out in 1999, so I was seven years old, so I was pretty young, but I vividly, vividly remember it, seeing it on Rage. It just seemed to be everywhere, you know, didn't it? Totally. She was the first major figure that I remember of my life as being a pop star, maybe apart from, you know, sync or something like that, which is, you know, another topic that I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> so she emerged as just this archetypal female in a lot of ways. She was young, she was sexy, but she seemed to be smart and in control. She was dominating. You know, that film clip, Baby One More Time, is very powerful, is very raw. And that was my first experience of Britney Spears. And she's just... From the releases onwards, she just seemed to be, she seemed to hold such a commanding position in, in, in pop stardom, and she still does. And so when you look back, tell me a bit more about her later work as well, and if you've got a particular favourite record or a particular favourite moment or era of Britney, we weren't really talking about eras back then, but, you know, we can cast that, that lens and frame over it. I mean, she was extraordinarily prolific from the start. You know, Baby One More Time appeared in 99. Oops, I Did It Again appeared in 2000. The self-titled Britney appeared in 2001. She really pumped them out quickly and became quickly just the highest selling artist of the time. I think I did it again. I made you believe we're more than just friends. And it was an interesting time in pop music because when she arrived on the scene, it was all about boy bands. You know, there was this view in the market that female artists, particularly female solo artists, just didn't sell. And Britney Spears absolutely changed all that. So she changed the the charts. She changed the direction of the music industry. And you can see from, from later artists that came, you know, the Extinas of the world, even someone like Jojo, you know, the, they can trace their their influences back to Britney Spears. My personal favourite album, which I think is, you know, a bit of a cult classic, is her fifth studio album, Blackout. It includes, of course, one of her best songs, Gimme More, Piece of Me, Break the Ice. She's an incredibly intelligent pop artist, which I think is something that is lost in all of this conversation, is is her actually as an artist and her work. She's had such a massive influence on pop music that it's it's just hard to describe. You know, she's Britney. That's who she is. She just changed music forever. Changed music and changed our conception of pop and celebrity and everything. And it's so interesting to go back to that era between, you know, 99 and 2005 and to see so much of what we will talk about on this show and so much of what the current narrative of what Britney is about 
the seeds of that really being laid back then. And and for me, I could not talk about this enough because I think when you talk about Brittany and Justin and you talk about their relationship, their breakup and the media analysis and the music that came out of that, the first time I started thinking about that, it was just sort of this salacious moment, right? It's like, oh, Brittany and Justin have broken up in 2002. Justin releases this song, Crimea River, very clearly oh. about the breakup, featuring a Brittany lookalike where he is sort of, you know, claiming the moral high ground in that relationship. At the time, and even in the years since, it's like, oh, this is like great drama, right? Like how cool that these two people have broken up and are making music about each other. But when you go and look at all of that stuff again, it is very strange. And I mean, Crimea River drops. It's about the breakup. Justin then embarks on this press tour where he's asked a lot about the relationship. And it's so strange because we're talking about, like, young people that have known each other since they were children, dated when they were teenagers, and they're talking openly about their sex lives, or at least he's talking openly about their sex lives. Can you talk to me about that? You're right. It really is looking back one of the strangest periods in, in pop culture history. So he embarks on this press tour where he's asked, you know, jokingly all the time whether he took Britney Spears's virginity, you know, did you take it, did you take it? And he's kind of on these radio shows with these other dudes that they're just sort of laughing about it, you know, that it's it's this great joke. Justin Timberlake is in the house. And I just want to ask you one question. Did you Britney Spears? <laughs> yes or no? Oh, man. Come on, man. Okay, I did it. No, yeah! It was a really weird time. There was, like, talk about our, what we did together and, like, really sexually, sexually yeah. and stuff, and I just felt very exploited. And at the same time, Britney Spears is also in interviews, asked about whether she lost her virginity, is asked about, you know, very specific details about her sex life. I'm just wondering um, how you feel about all the constant speculation about your virginity and whether you are a virgin or not. I really wish I would have never said anything to begin with because I'm kind of stuck in this little place where people are always asking me. But, um, you know, that's just something that's part of growing up and that's just something that we all have to deal with. So, Have there been any changes on that front? <laughs> It was extraordinary. And interviewers were saying, you know, what did you do to him? You know, he says you broke his heart. You know, how could you be that callous? But you said, I've only slept with one person in my whole life, two years into my relationship with Justin. And yet he's, he's left the impression that, that you weren't faithful, that you betrayed the relationship. He has gone on television and pretty much said you broke his heart. You did something that caused him so much pain, so much suffering. What did you do? I think everyone has a side of their story. And I'm not technically saying he's wrong, but I'm not technically saying he's right either. So It was a completely bonkers thing to be happening. And looking back on it now, you do realize that we've come at least some way in talking about that kind of stuff. And that would you'd hope, would never happen now in a major celebrity interview. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a lot of problems that the media still have when they talk about women 
and mm-hmm. sexuality and music and women artists in particular, but it does seem hard to see someone like Justin Timberlake emerging out of that narrative so successfully. Not only were there no consequences for Justin, he became yeah. the biggest male pop star of that era as a result of this. He mined and exploited their relationship. He spun his own story. He went on those interviews and he made himself the hero and her the villain and traded that into immense celebrity status. It's it's just incredible. Yeah, he absolutely weaponized the misogyny of the industry. And he has apologized for it um, only this year. Um, and he also apologized to another woman who he, he did very badly by, and that was Janet Jackson, of course, at the, yeah. at the Super Bowl. In a statement posted to Timberlake's Instagram on Friday, the singer said that he is deeply sorry. Quote, I understand that I fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. And so the song that stands out for me that Britney released in the aftermath of all of that was Every Time, which was her response to Cry Me a River and the entire narrative that Justin was spinning. big ballad. It was, you know, one of the first songs that she basically wrote herself. And the song itself, I think, is is, is quite moving and quite beautiful. But when you go back and you watch that video, this is 2003. This is nearly 20 years ago. That is a video of a woman in an abusive relationship with a man who is physically and emotionally abusing her. A woman who is being terrorized by the media and the paparazzi who is seeking to escape both of these things that are clearly having an enormous impact on her mental health. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2003. That is before the media narrative of her, quote-unquote, going off the rails even started. Mm-hmm. That is before her conservatorship was was granted. That is before we heard her talk in a courtroom about how disastrous the last few years of her life have been. It is so strange and hard to watch now and say this woman is laying it all out there for us and did it two decades ago. This is like before Mm. the Iraq war. (laughs) A lot of stuff has changed in the world since then. And it's like we're only now finally coming to terms with what she was trying to tell us. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think something that's missed a lot of the time in all of this and a lot of the reports about this is, is Britney Spears, the person, what she's actually like, her own agency. Britney Spears is a very intelligent person. You know, she's always had, at least in the early parts of her career, very strong control over over the creative decisions. You know, there was one snapshot, you know, where someone called her a diva um, in a rehearsal and she hits back as, I'm not a diva, I just know what I like, you know, and I just know what works. And you get this, these, this picture as you watch documentaries like Framing Britney Spears that she was a very, a very sorted person you know she wasn't mm. just a wayfish kind of girl nerd store figure that was being pushed and pulled around in the early parts of her career she was she was calling the shots and she really knew what was going on and that i think is lost a little bit as you know as she has lost her agency mm. time and time again mm. you know we we forget that this is a really intelligent person you know with with that wants to have control over her life that knows how she wants to run her career and i think that has been lost After the break, we'll dig into exactly how Britney's conservatorship came about. 
For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Jules, let's talk about how Britney's agency and her control was lost. I mean, after this Justin Timberlake era is when things start to go a little bit sideways. And I really hate using terms like breakdown or off the rails because it seems to feed into these tropes of her actually, you know, something outside of her control happening to her and then people needing to step in and save her, which seems less and less likely that that was actually the case. But Mm -hmm. that's certainly what the media framing at the time was like. So she she gets married to her best friend from childhood, Jason Alexander. They get their marriage annulled just over two days later. She then gets engaged to Kevin Federline, one of her backup dancers. They have a reality show. They have a kid together. (laughs) They have another kid together. And it's sort of around the time of their relationship breakdown that this narrative of her going wild, going crazy, being out of control starts to to be fed through. Move! Move! Hey, guys, come on, guys! Leave Brittany alone! Please! She came in and she said she wanted her head shaved. The hairdresser refused, so she literally grabbed her the hair clipper and started doing it herself. They asked why she wanted to shave her head, and she said, I don't want anyone touching me. I'm tired of everybody touching me. She wasn't making sense at all, and you could tell she's not in a good place at all. And- you know, she's photographed by paparazzis driving a car with a baby in her lap, which apparently leads to criticism from child welfare advocates. She says that she was jumping into the car in a hurry to avoid paparazzi. And so much of the push and pull of this era is Britney saying, Every time you see me doing something that looks weird, that's because I'm trying to get away from you. You're breaking into my house. You're scaling my balcony. And I'm trying to avoid that. And then you take photos of that and you make me out to be a crazy person. What do you think it'll take to get the paparazzi to leave you alone? I don't know. Is that one of your biggest wishes? (laughs) Yeah. You have to realize that we're people. And that we we just need privacy and we need our respect and and those are things that you have to have as a human the narrative really shifts at this point from britney being the you know slut shamed and and the heartbreaker and the kind of the evil woman into the bad mother you know and that's the mm. road that the tabloids mm. take and that's the story that all of the magazines just follow you saw the questions that were being asked is britney a bad mom it's not like did Britney record a bad song? Mm-hmm. Is Britney wearing a bad outfit? Is Britney in a bad marriage? Yeah. Is Britney a bad mom? Mm-hmm. 
That's America for you. <laughs> and it just crushes her. You know, at the end of, you know, when her and Kevin Federline divorced, there was an, kind of an inevitable, a very bitter custody battle. And there were, you know, certain incidents that happened at the time, you know, at, at one point she apparently, you know, barricaded herself or at least or at least was in the bathroom with her children, kind of refusing to to give them to Kevin as part of their custody mm-hmm. agreement. And she was then, you know, strapped to a gurney and, and forcibly um, put into a mental health facility. Amid a media frenzy, the 26-year-old pop star was brought by ambulance to a Los Angeles hospital from her Beverly Hills home. Another chapter in her long-running custody battle with ex-husband Kevin Federline over their two sons. And it was around this time that her father, Jamie Spears, stepped in and put in place the temporary conservatorship. And that is the moment where things change quite dramatically because that was, as you say, temporary. The, The idea was it wasn't supposed to last for very long. It was something that her father, Jamie convinced that her mom and other members of her family and people around her to do and say, Brittany's having a very tough time right now. We have to take care of running her business and her life for her while she can recover. But that was now 13 years ago and she's still under that conservatorship. So clearly things went very, 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 very wrong for her. Before we get to the current debate about why that conservatorship is now being reevaluated. Let's just talk about what that actually means, because I think, you know, in Australia we don't have we don't use the term conservatorship. We use the term guardianship, but the principles are similar. People who reach a point in their lives, perhaps they're very very old, perhaps they have a significant mental health issue, that means that they are unable to make decisions for their life. They're unable to live their lives. Uh, courts can grant power to someone else to manage those affairs. They can manage their business affairs, but also just things as though like when you're allowed to leave the house, who you're allowed to interact with, how much money you're allowed to spend. Under a court-ordered conservatorship, a conservatee, meaning Brittany, requires permission to drive, vote, get married, have children, select and hire a lawyer, have unmonitored contact with another person, or spend money. According to hashtag free- Britney's conservatorship is pretty broad, right? Mm. There's not a lot she can do without permission from those people appointed by the court to be her guardians. Yeah, absolutely. There was a report that came out in, in 2016, you know, from the New York Times that basically said that, you know, Britney's not allowed to go to Starbucks and buy a coffee without it being approved. You know, so that gives you an indication of, of how strictly her life is controlled. In her statement the other week, you know, she said that you know she's forced to go to therapy three times a week. You know, every single decision, you know, she doesn't make a decision, actually. That's a ridiculous mm-hmm. sentence. You know, every single thing she does in her life is decided by another person. It's a very extreme circumstance. And you're right, it's only meant to be temporary. And it's only meant to be put in place where someone is seriously incapacitated, you know, to make their own decisions. The idea of a conservatorship lasting 13 years for someone that is, you know, pretty young and healthy and productive and a performer is very, very, very unusual. Yeah, I want to talk about that because it's not as though she's, you know, she's not allowed to leave the house and have certain relationships without permission from the trustees of a conservatorship. But it's not as though she's actually housebound. Throughout this time, it's been perhaps the most productive 
era of Britney in terms of performing, doing residencies, like doing a lot of work. Can you tell me a bit about what she's been up to over the past decade? Absolutely. It's actually been a very lucrative time of Britney's career. I think her her entire estate and, and wealth has reportedly grown by about $20 million. And it's, you know, a significant amount of money. You know, she had, of course, that Las Vegas residency uh, piece of me, which ran from, I think, 2013 to 2017, which I think grossed somewhere in the area of, of about $130, $40 million. Jeez. A huge amount of money. You know, she's released singles. She's released albums. She has been doing a lot, you know, and even up until, as I mentioned earlier, you know, up until early 2019, she was meant to start another Vegas residency. Mm. It's not like she has been shut up in, in a house and, and locked away. You know, she's been out there performing, you know, on stage every night in Vegas, twice a night in Vegas at times when she apparently was very unwell. She said at, at times she didn't really want to do these residencies either, but that's, you know, another issue altogether. She has been working, you know, every single day. And a lot of people have been making a lot of money while she's been doing so. And the thing that gets to me about the situation she's in is that how can she simultaneously be well enough to perform for days and weeks on end, to go out there, to perform, to make money, to interact with people, to to do rehearsals, to like it's an enormous amount of work that puts an enormous physical and mental strain on someone. How can she simultaneously be able to do all of that, have the capacity and ability to do that, but apparently she can't actually decide whether or not she wants to go to a cafe or who she's allowed to be in a relationship with. Those two things just don't seem to to reconcile for me. You're exactly right. And that's the entire question at the point of this discussion is that how can she be behaving so well she can be out there performing every night, but then apparently unable to go to Starbucks and get a coffee. It just doesn't make any sense to anyone, which is why we're here talking about it, you know? We'll be back after this break. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. So according to a recent New Yorker article by Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino, Britney's only been allowed a court-appointed lawyer up until very recently or a lawyer appointed by her conservatorship trustees. Mm -hmm. And these were the same lawyers that she's had to rely on to try and actually resist her conservatorship. Is that right? So Britney has really resisted the conservatorship from the start. And in fact, her lawyer, Samuel Ingham, was described as as being very loyal to Jamie Spears from the start and being, you know, kind of not really on Spears's side, you know, if I can if I can say that. Hmm. So no, you know, the end and Ronan Farrow and Tolentino use an analogy that even an axe murderer technically has more legal rights in this situation than a conservative. Because you can appoint, you know, your legal counsel as an axe murderer. You can represent yourself. But if you are Britney Spears in this situation, you can't. And that is a really, really stark problem with these kind of arrangements. So that leads us to the legal challenges that have become an increasing part of the public discussion around Britney Spears. It feels like 
it sounds like from what you've said that a lot of this stuff was happening in the background almost since the start of this. But a couple of weeks ago, we actually saw one of the most extraordinary courtroom scenes involving, you know, a pop star that I can remember in in recent history where Britney spoke herself. Because so often this has been playing out through lawyers, through spokespeople, through anonymous quotes in gossip mags and in other publications. But we heard Britney speak for the first time about what impact this conservatorship was having on her and just how tightly her life was being controlled. What was it like to hear that as someone who's followed Britney's career and the last few years of her life so closely? I don't think you can overstate how incredible a moment this was, you know, in, in entertainment history. So, Miss um, Sears, um, and thank you for um, your interest in, uh, in, uh, in appearing in the court today. And I, I, I do uh, recall the last time that uh, I had a chance to meet you. So I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're back here uh, mm-hmm. today as well. Um, you were here, I believe. One of the most famous people in the world, one of the biggest pop stars ever, you know, coming out saying that she is in an abusive situation that this conservatorship is abusive, that it has traumatised her. She's opened by saying, you know, I have a lot to say, so bear with me. You know, I don't think I was heard on any level when I came to court last time. You know, she said that she just felt dead whenever she was in court before, that she didn't exist. I will be honest with you, I haven't been back to court in a long time because I don't think I was heard on any level when I came to court the last time. She called 911 the night before this testimony on June 23rd to report her conservatorship being abusive. Ma'am, I've worked since I was 17 years old. You have to understand how thin that is for me. Every morning I get up to know I can't go on somewhere unless I meet people I don't know every week in an office identical to the one where the therapist was very abusive to me. I truly believe this conservatorship is abusive. And now we can sit here all day and say, oh, conservatorships are here to help people. But ma'am, there's a thousand conservatorships that are abusive as well. I don't feel you know, and she said she'd lied and told the whole world that she was okay, you know, that she's traumatised. She told a, a really shocking story that she wanted to have kids and that she wasn't allowed to remove her, her contraceptive IUD, which was a, a startling revelation that, that kicked off these discussions about reproductive coercion in, in conservatorships and all of that kind of stuff. I'd like for my boyfriend to be able to drive me in his car. And I would like to progressively move forward and I want to have the real deal. I want to be able to get married and have a baby. I wanted to take the ID out so I could start trying to have another baby. But this so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they they don't want me to have children, any more children. Um, you know, and she just said this something that just broke, just really broke my heart that she just said, I just all I want is to own my own money and for my boyfriend to drive me in his fucking car. And there was this this desperation and and fury, but also she was incredibly lucid. You know, this was not a, a rambling kind of rant by any means. You could tell that she'd been thinking about this for a while and she was furious and she wanted her voice to be heard. I feel open and I'm okay to talk to you today about it, but I, I wish I could stay with you on the phone forever because when I get off the phone with you, all of a sudden, all of I hear, I hear all these no's, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden I get, I feel ganged up on and I feel bullied and I feel left out and alone. And I'm tired of feeling alone. I deserve to have the same rights as anybody does by having a child, a family, any of those things. It's also worth noting that lawyers for her conservators 
uh, tried to argue that the court was sealed, that none of this would be, you know, publicised. And she interrupted them and said, they've done a pretty good job of exploiting my life. I feel like it should be an open court hearing. They should listen and hear what I have to say. Mm. And listening to these things, you know, again, as we were talking about before, this doesn't sound like someone that isn't in control of themselves. And that was what's extraordinary about it is that the only things we've kind of seen of Britney over the last few years are these strange kind of Instagram videos, you know, the weird TikToks, the, the kind of things that you're like, oh, gosh, you know, what's, what's going on? It doesn't seem okay. So to hear her speak like this was really extraordinary and it just floored basically everyone. And does it seem like it will have any kind of impact? Like this saga has gone on for so long, it feels like momentum is growing, you know, we've heard Britney's voice now. Does it feel like there's momentum or is this just a, because it's a legal dispute in one court in California, is all of this public pressure irrelevant to to her life? (sighs) Sometimes it does feel like that, definitely. A few things have happened in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Ingham, her lawyer, has resigned. Um, Bessemer Trust, who was in a, a co-conservatorship arrangement with, with Jamie Spears for her estate, they've also resigned. There are a few things happening that indicate that people want out of this situation. And the other thing that, that's, that's key to all of this is Brittany apparently said that she did not know that she could petition the court for this conservatorship to end. And it didn't appear that her lawyer had told her that this was an option even though we know that she's wanted this to end for a long time, or at least that she doesn't want her father to be involved in this. Another thing to note is that there are a lot of people making a lot of money, you know, through this arrangement. As a conservative, you know, Britney Spears has to pay for her conservators' expenses, has to pay them a salary, has to pay for office space, has to pay for legal fees. You know, there are reports that Jamie Spears, you know, has been paid at least $5 million before taxes, you know, since 2008. Wow. You know, and and his lawyers from the period of October 2020 to February 2021 billed Spears nearly $900,000 for only four months of work. Once you see someone, whoever it is in the conservatorship, making money, making them money and myself money and working that whole statement right there, the conservatorship should end. There should be no, I shouldn't be in a conservatorship if I can work and provide money and work for myself and pay other people. It makes no sense. The laws need to change. What state? And so you, you know, I'm not going to speculate, but you can, you can take from that kind of what you will. I'll speculate. That's outrageous. Like <laughs> you were talking about the amount of money she made from one residency over $130 million. And her net worth is, is like less than half of that. I've done more than enough. I don't owe these people anything, especially me, the one that has roofed and fed tons of people on tour on the road. It's embarrassing and demoralizing what I've been through. And that's the main reason. It's just so obvious how much like this is a story about control, about exploitation, about the narratives the media tells about women in particular, but it's also a story about just ruthless exploitation of someone's finances and wealth and and greed, you know? I mean, I don't know if Jamie Spears is going to listen to this and sue me or something, but 
bring it on. That's outrageous. Yeah, well, that's what I was. That's what I was trying to guard against. But look, seeing seeing as you've you know jumped in the water, I'll jump in there with you. Yes, it's it's very clear that there are a lot of people that are milking this for all it's worth and are making a very very comfortable living off this situation continuing. And I think that kind of speaks for itself. And it kind of it, it echoes a lot of situations throughout pop culture history. Look at someone like Avicii, you know, whose managers pushed him and pushed him and pushed him to keep performing because he was their breadwinner. You know, he was the one paying their salaries. And if he stopped performing as he wanted to, because he was desperately needed, you know, medical and mental health, suddenly their paychecks would dry up. It happened with Amy Winehouse as well. You know, this has been a narrative that is repeated again and again and again, not, not 50, 40 years ago, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, this is a very common narrative that these pop stars pay the checks of the people around them. And that is a, such a weird imbalance of power, particularly if someone is fragile, like Britney Spears was in 2008. And suddenly she's now in this situation where she is paying for all these people to take care of her. And it's just a little bit of a living nightmare, isn't it? Hmm. And Jules, do you think when, when you look back on this story and you know the things that we've talked about, we talked about the way that she was covered in the media, the way that her art was devalued because she was a woman, the way that her story was taken from her, the way that she was portrayed as a bad mother because she was trying to flee the paparazzi. All of this stuff has obviously laid the groundwork for a narrative that has led to this conservatorship and for it to go on as long as it has. Do you think that things are different now? Do you think that we won't do this again? Or do you think that's wishful thinking? Do you think perhaps it's easy for us to look at what happened to Britney and say, well, thank God, you know, things aren't like that now. So let's free Britney and just get on with it. I think that would be a very optimistic thing to say, because I think what's happening to Britney now is still very much happening. So while we may understand this in Britney's context, We don't seem to be able to apply this logic to other situations. We are still tearing female pop stars to pieces. Mm. We are still holding them to impossible double standards that no one can reach. We are still doing exactly the same thing. And I don't think we've quite reached the level where we're taking these, you know, key learnings (laughs) to use a corporate jargon (laughs) and applying them to, to other pop stars and other people out there. Jules, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Jules. Thanks for listening to the show. The Culture will be back in your feeds next week as usual. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by The Wonderful Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week. 